Spring has arrived. I know it's hard to believe after this winter, but I think we can all safely say that spring is finally here. Warm weather, yes, and hot sunshine. Soon we'll be complaining about heat. Can you believe that? Then we'll be turning on that air conditioner. Does yours work? Does it need a tune-up? Don't wait until you're sweating bullets in the heat to make sure your system is running smoothly. From AC tune-ups to repairs, Aquarius Home Services, they're here to help. If you need a new AC unit right now, Aquarius is offering a new AC for as low as $55 per month. Plus, they treat your home like it's their own, from wearing shoe covers to cleaning up everything when they're done. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, and I recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. That is not a turkey, Natalie. It's my best attempt. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Welcome to today's episode of Do North Outdoors. We're glad to have you back. I am one of your hosts, Travis Frank, Natalie Dillon. Welcome back to thank the you, show. Thank you, thank you. What good a good start. Have... Well, thank you. Um, did, it, did that sound like a hen, turkey? Yes. Here's the thing about turkey call so i have several that one is this is a slate call here's a box i don't do it very often my kids use this one and then i've got a mouth call here brandon are you able to hear this i think we got to adjust some levels on this episode yeah, yeah, yeah. i just hurt your ears i apologize for that i should have warned you this one is going to be really loud because i'm an inch from the microphone, but listeners at home, raise your hands if you can figure out the topic of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> we hope those hands Bear are hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So this is a Tuesday recording. Tomorrow, when this goes live. Hopefully, people that are listening to it are listening to it on Minnesota's turkey opener. I will be, well, actually, according to the morning time, probably out of the blind at this time tomorrow, but hopefully with a turkey story to share and turkey to prepare for my family. When's the last time on spring turkey opener did we have 80 degrees? Honestly, it's so bizarre that it's going to be 80 tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the the forecast last week was snow, and there was snow everywhere. But we went out to the property last night, and I had three of my kids with. And my oldest is going to be shooting tomorrow. And I always brought them with to be a part of the whole process. And I, I said, this year you have to ask permission because I've shown him how to ask permission from the landowner the last couple of years that we've been out there. Then we go take out the blind. Uh, but I noticed driving the, the gravel roads to get out to this land that the snow was just like, it went so fast. And we're in central Minnesota. I know that there's more snow in northern Minnesota, North Dakota, northern, northern third of Wisconsin. I get it. But 80 degrees, I mean, that's... I have all this warm camouflage that I got for the kids, and we're not going to be able to wear it tomorrow. The last two years, there had been snow on the ground on turkey opener, 
And my oldest, who is eight right now, he's about to be nine in a couple days. He will, like I mentioned, he'll be on the gun, and he is mm-hmm. so excited. I'm not sure he's going to be able to sleep tonight. Uh, my nephew is coming with. My nephew got his first turkey last year. He's 11. And then uh, I've got a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl as well. So there's going to be five of us in the blind tomorrow morning. My son has gone with, as a hunter, the last two years, and both times he has bagged a tom on opening Wow. Morning. So the bar is set very high. It is. It is. And there's something special about the way that it happens. And turkey hunting, uh, it's interesting because when I grew up, we didn't have turkeys around. I was probably, I think I was 15 when I saw my first wild mm. turkey, and it flushed out of some brush when I was walking in the woods scared the crap out of me. I'm like, well, there's a pterodactyl here. What is going on? Uh, they're humongous birds that surprise you when they take off. Sorry, did I blow out the speaker? Banner? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, now it's an opportunity. Turkey hunting, the popularity has grown. Um, you know, we come out of this long winter, and this was a long one, obviously, but it's a new opportunity. It's a start of spring. And turkeys in particular are so much fun to hunt in the spring because you have an opportunity to talk to a wild animal and converse and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you got to convince that Tom or Jake that there's love over here, Mm -hmm. you know, and that love is in the air this time (laughs) of the year. So today's today's show, we have some listener questions. And some topics we'll, we'll get into, but I have turkey on the brain. Yeah. And I got to say, I have a day on the books to go for the first time. So I, I'm, I'm the novice in the conversation. I'll be learning a lot alongside all the listeners, but I've got a date on the books for about two weeks from now or 10 days maybe to go. And now Good I'm kind of wishing it was bumped up to tomorrow, but where I'm going to go is up north and there's still quite a bit of snow up there. So a lot hopefully will- that 10 days from now, it'll be, it'll be good to go. Yeah. A lot will change. Um, and this is one of the questions that, that has been asked, you know, with the late spring, how will that affect it? Well, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But the reality is love is in the air if you're a turkey. So it's it's happening whether it's warm or cold. And, you know, we had a turkey come to the call on opening day for my son two years ago. And the picture, I look back on it, and there's snow on the ground. And, you know, it wasn't ideal conditions. But there's something about the opener that... I, you know, uh, children, and this is something that I learned as a father, children in Minnesota under, I believe, the age of 12 can buy a turkey tag, and it's $1 for their tag, and it's basically a processing fee. Um, I haven't purchased his license yet for tomorrow. I'll be doing that after we leave the office here today, but um, I believe it's still a dollar in Minnesota, and turkeys... You know, the fact that you can sit and there'll be five of us in this confined space tomorrow, all taking in the sunrise, all taking in deer walking by, probably going to smell us. They'll definitely hear us. You know, part of it is just being out there with the kids. And turkey hunting is one of those um, hunts, unlike, you know, maybe deer hunting or duck hunting, where... Um, or or upland hunting, where you're on the move, you get to sit there and you get to coach them and you get to be close to them. And so over the years of 
you know, bringing my kids out. They were three years old, each of them, when they came out hunting for the first time, except for my daughter, Lydia, because she's totally ready, you know, way earlier than the boys. And she did not, she was not okay being left behind. So she came out goose hunting when she was two. But I slowly would introduce them to these hunts and I slowly introduced them to BB guns. Then you kept working up and up. And, you know, the, the way that my oldest son, Weston, handles a shotgun when that opportunity came about was impressive. And he, he wanted to give it a try. Um, so when we went out the first time, you know, after shooting boxes of shells through a shotgun and him hitting the paper perfectly every single time, I felt confident that this could work. And amazingly, this is an option for kids today. I didn't have that. Like I said, I didn't really get to hunt for something like this until I was older. And so I love that we can take kids out. I know a lot of moms and dads that I'm friends with, their kids are getting into it too because it's you're right there. And you get to help them. You keep them safe. They get to experience the rush. But they also get to experience everything else that unfolds that morning. Just so this actually hearing. this actually leads into something that I wanted to talk about today. You know, of course, we're going to be talking all things turkey hunting in this episode. But um, I think anyone listening at home, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but whether or not somebody is a t- turkey hunter, a hunter in general or not, I think we can all attest to the change in populations over the last couple of decades. I know you said you didn't see your first turkey until you were 15. Yep. I don't remember seeing my first one, but I know I never used to see them. And now it seems common to see them kind of everywhere in the suburbs, backyards, even um, for a time I was living in like Minneapolis in the city. And it was very normal to see a couple turkeys walking across the road with like dragging concrete. their beards exactly. on the concrete. Yes. So can you, you know, fill us in or enlighten us a little bit more about why there's been, I guess, such a growth or succession growth in the populations around here? Yes. Yeah, so I don't want to quote the exact year, but Actually, Ron Shera was very integral in making this happen, but uh, the first turkey was reintroduced in southeastern Minnesota, and so they took very well. And it was like the seventies, right? I it read might somewhere. Have, it, yeah, Brandon, can you look this up? When were turkeys introduced to Minnesota? Um, you know, so they have really exploded. The population has exploded. Their range now covers basically every county in Minnesota. And this is um, a question that a listener wrote in for us, um, which areas, and we'll get to that. But the, the population is very strong, continues to grow. Um, and it's amazing how well they've grown all over the country. There are pockets, as I've followed turkeys and hunted them, there are pockets where sometimes things happen and numbers go down, but then they come back up. As a whole, it's continuing to grow. And, you know, all the way up into Canada, there are birds up there as well. It was 1973. And now the first hunting season for turkeys was 1978, where they harvested 94 turkeys. And then now they currently harvest 10,000 turkeys sure so in minnesota you used to have to apply for all the different seasons it starts on a wednesday you get seven day window the next wednesday a a season ends b season begins you get seven days you used to apply for which 
when you want. Well, that's because there wasn't as many birds. And um, now today, you can hunt, uh, choose your season. You still get a season. If you don't get a bird in that seven-day window, then the last, I want to say, three seasons, you can go as many times as you want later into into uh, May. Um, where did I, I lost my train of thought here, Natalie? What was well, your question? Well, oh, I've got several for you. Just okay. buckle up. But, you know, I'm curious, you know, so you mentioned tomorrow you're going out for the first time, but I'm imagining, based on what I know about both hunting and you, you this probably isn't the first day that you started thinking about it. So I guess if you could maybe talk us through your process for getting ready for the season, maybe what you've been up to the last couple of weeks, if you've you know had a chance or what you would normally do to, you know, decide where you're going to go to maybe scout um, and kind of prep and prepare. Yeah. So that's scouting is always important, no matter what you're going to hunt for and understanding the land, if you've never been on it. Um, this year is interesting because like I mentioned, two days ago, everything was covered in snow, deep snow in a lot of places. And in I stay in regular contact with landowners, friends. I'm always watching. If I'm driving down the road. I'm looking ahead, but I'm also, my, my peripherals are what's happening out in the field. So I've been watching to see if these birds have been strutting. Are they in the mood? Are the, the toms, you know, you, you can't miss that big fan out there. The hens are not ready yet, probably, but they are. And we have, we have city birds right around our office here. And they've been strutting now for over 10 days. I started noticing them texting buddies. Hey, are the turkeys in your area? Are they, are they getting out there? A lot of their life was spent around surviving winter. I mean, these, these blasts of snow and deep snow have really made it challenging. Made me wonder if we're going to have some winter kill on some of these uh, turkeys. Definitely on deer. Definitely on pheasants. Turkeys are very hardy, but they've been trying to survive. And so I know that talking to the landowner last night, he's like, well, I've had, you know, a lot of turkeys the last couple of weeks in the yard at the bird feeder. They're just trying to find anything they can to make it through. Now that we lost the snow, he goes, I don't know where they went. They could be on the neighbor's property. I don't know. So I don't have a lot of scouting time in this year because I think that a lot of the birds are going to go quickly from survival mode to I'm ready to start breeding. And that's going to change their patterns. Wintering grounds, they'll expand back to their normal locations. Uh, people that might have scouted yesterday might not have seen a single track out there. And today they might have birds return where there's food now available as the snow leaves. So this will be an interesting season. A lot of turkey hunters will say, that and I, I agree with them too. A lot of it is, don't rush to get out there. The best is yet to come. Yes, that's true. Turkey hunting should get better. They should get more aggressive, more responsive to the calls as the season goes along. But I don't want to miss a day if I can <laughs> take it. And my kids certainly don't want to miss a day. It might not be optimal out there yet, but I still want to be there with them when the sun rises. So um, I'm going on historical information based on previous hunting seasons. We're going to put our blind in the same spot that my son shot his turkey last year because it's the same spot he shot it the year before that, and it's worked. Uh, it's a matter of will they hear the call? Are they close enough? I won't know until we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How important is it? You've mentioned being out there at sunrise. How important is it? 
any given day that you're going out to be out first thing in the morning versus, you know, if somebody wants to get out after work or whatnot, is it more for beating other hunters or is it really the best time to so with see a bird? Yeah, with turkeys, you can be successful at any hour of the legal shooting hours. I have called in turkeys first thing, last thing. Um, morning is magical. <laughs> morning is magical. If anybody's ever turkey hunted, they understand why. A lot of turkey hunters now, Natalie, it really depends on where you're hunting. And so this particular spot that I'm going to be hunting with the boys or with the kids tomorrow, um, it's there's several land owners that own property through this river bottom creek bottom area and i have permission on two of the two of the properties but the birds could be on a different property now i can't just go over there and set up um, sometimes people hunt in a place that's a huge wildlife management area or they have a lot of ground you can run and gun you can move you can call and hear a distant gobble and be like okay i'm gonna get a little closer and set up and and try to get, you know, in position. We're kind of limited where we're going to hunt because of the fact that we can't really go in any further mm-hmm. <laughs> on yeah. this property. So um, it it's important for us to be out early if the birds are roosting nearby. And turkeys, if you scout before you hunt, that's part of the fun too, is that you put them to bed. You can do an owl hoot, and they'll respond in the dark. And you'll say, all right, they're in the trees right there. Now you can make your plan. All right, how am I going to move in? Where am I going to go here? And where do I want to set up to be in position when they come down? Turkeys will start gobbling at first light, even before legal shooting hours. And you hit, the, you hit that call that I, that I did there right off the top of the show. And they'll start gobbling up in the trees. And it makes the hair on your back stand up, like in your arms or whatever. Like it just, it there's something so powerful about just the morning being so still, and everything starts to wake up, and turkeys are gobbling, and as they're getting ready to come down, they're gobbling more, and every sound they fire off, and if there's six eight birds up in the roost, and all of a sudden they, they pitch down, and you're just sitting there and you're wondering. Did they like what they heard when I was mm-hmm. talking to them? Or are they going to go somewhere else? And then you find out that there's a hen with them. And then you got to pick a fight with her to get her to come over because they don't like to leave a hen, at least right away. So then it's the chess match. you know. So being out there early in the dark, depending on how close to the roost you get, is critical because if you walk in during daylight and they're sitting up in the tree and you sit down underneath that tree... Mm-hmm. They're not going to fly down and land by you. They know something's up. For as dumb as the bird is (laughs) when you see them in the city, they are so smart when you're hunting them. They do have very small brains. They have a pea-sized brain, and yet they will outsmart the wiliest turkey hunter in the woods from day to day. Well, you're definitely painting the picture. I think like with between spring coming and hearing you talk about it, thinking about those like dewy sunrises coming up here and what better way to get, you know, kids to be outside and and experiencing that than giving them an activity like turkey hunting. But um, I've got many questions that I would love to know, but we we started with those, the calls Mm -hmm. earlier. So walk us through some of that. You know, obviously most of us are familiar with like the turkey gobble, you know, Um, and, and that's, 
that's just going to be the males that make that sound, right? Correct. Yep. Can you walk through like what hunters need to know about the different sounds, why the bird makes them, and how important they are when you're hunting? I'll just say I am not a great okay. turkey caller, but I would say that that's not important. Okay. From my experience, because the worst turkey calls I have ever heard in my life <laughs> have been from live turkeys. <laughs> Seriously. The worst if only they knew you were judging them. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm trying my best, I, Travis. I hear this thing I in didn't the woods. I did warm up my vocal like, cords. <laughs> sounds like the turkey's choking it. I'm like, what in the heck? Who is doing that? Mm -hmm. And out walks a hen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, good. I don't have to be good. If that's what it really sounds yeah. like, you know, so. I was reading too. I was, yeah. you know, reading a few articles about some of this stuff um, beforehand. And I know turkeys make like upwards of 30. In, there's upwards of 30 total different calls that they can make, but apparently all of them really do have completely different voices and can sound totally different. So yeah, hopefully I, that's a little bit of comfort for... I mean, you know, just the standard turkey call, the yelp. If you can yelp, you can call in a tom from opening day till the last day of the season. Honestly, sometimes people overcall. Um, you know, it's, it's a, every day is something different and that's mm -hmm. what keeps it exciting too. You know, I don't, once they know where I'm at, now I gotta, I gotta make them do some thinking. You know, I, if they respond to me, I know they know that I'm here. This is what a lot of hunters or people don't know. In the wild world, when a hen calls, or whatever sound she makes, and a tom responds, in the wild world, she's to go to him. Mm. In our world, I need to get him to come to me. And so that's, that's where the decoys come into play too. Um, I, I want him to think, all right, I know she's there. Why isn't she coming to me? And he's over there just gobbling his head off. Gobble, 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 gobble. And they're 250 yards away. You can't see him, but you can hear him. And every time he gobbles, you're like, do I talk back? Sometimes you got to play this chess game. All right. Now, and some days you'll hit the call and they'll gobble. And the next time you hit the call, you, they gobble again. And you can tell they're literally running at you. Those are the fun ones because get ready. He's coming. Sometimes you get you, they hang up. And that's where you have to decide, okay, I'm going to go quiet here. And I'm going to let that turkey think, all right, I told her to get over here. She's not coming. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Don't say anything. Or turn and make it sound like you're going away. And he's like, She's leaving me? How dare she? Now he comes towards you. I, I've tried different uh, decoy setups, and I've almost always land on, well, two. But the one that I use if I'm sitting still is I use a hen, and then I use a jake decoy. And I used to just use a hen. Some people have tom decoys. But here's why I use just a hen and a jake decoy. These turkeys that live on their turf, you know, together, they roost together, they fight. I'm the boss, dominant Tom, and they beat each other up. They literally spur each other. They, they get in vicious fights. Now, if that turkey that hears my hen, hey, I'm over here. Hello. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. <laughs> exactly. If, if it's a Tom that just got its butt kicked mm -hmm. and he comes over and he sees this 
big tom and full strut decoy mm-hmm. standing behind. He's like, nope. Well, I want her, but I also just got my butt kicked. So he's timid. When he sees an immature Jake, not only does he want the hen, he doesn't want that immature bird. He's like, oh, uh, 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 no, sir, no, sir. They come in charging, not the hen. They come in charging the Jake decoy, and they jump on top of it, and they spur it, and they knock it off the stake, and they beat it up, and they fly. I mean, it is an, like, if you haven't seen it, you, there's millions, not maybe not millions, but thousands of turkey hunting videos because they get so focused on that Jake that they come running in. So I always like to do that setup, the hen and the Jake, because the scenario I told you about where the hen is supposed to go to the tom, a lot of times when I just had a hen decoy out, I would have a bird come out and he would strut, full strut out in the open, staring at the hen decoy, looking at her, gobbling his head off, get over here, get Mm -hmm. over here. And of course, it's a little piece of plastic on a swivel <laughs> stake, not moving. And finally he says, fine. And he walks away. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't that jealousy factor going on where he's going to lose out on a hen to a immature bird. You so, also don't, you'll still get the boss, Tom. Mm-hmm. You'll get all the other Toms and the other Jakes aren't intimidated by it either. I've found they typically will come into that. And so if, if you have a, a young kid, you know, a Jake is pretty Pretty much a trophy, too. So you're not ruling out any of the legal birds with that decoy setup. So as I, and that all makes sense, and as I analyze this, where my brain goes is if you do want, you know, the the biggest trophy mm-hmm. that you can possibly find, would it be a, would it be a tactic that would make sense to, for example, um, you know, call with a lot of, you know, with the gobbling so that they, you know, you're, I guess, targeting the birds that would be less afraid or less intimidated by other males. Is uh, that a tactic people use? I, you're recommending, I guess, you know, the opposite, but. Well, I don't gobble. Mm-hmm. I don't. I know some people have a little, you know, a little rubber tube, and if you mm-hmm. shake it, it sounds. Yeah. Um, I don't. Or a Tom decoy. Words. Yeah. To like lure in the, you know, the biggest birds out there. Is yeah. that a tactic people use? Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yep. People do use, they have their own big toms out there and i know that works as well um it's it's really the fun thing is like i'm telling you my success stories Mm -hmm. but everybody has their own and um you know sometimes it's hard to tell when that thing comes in they're all puffed up and the beard is dragging like a nine inch beard looks like a 10 inch beard a 12 like it's hard to tell plus your heart's racing you know it all happens really quick when they come in so i don't I guess if it's a if it's a great hunt and a bird comes in and I get to interact and call him in and I'm not like I don't know do your spurs yeah are they inch and a half <laughs> spurs or inch and a quarter like I don't get too caught up in that I get mm-hmm. caught up in the moment and that to me is the most important thing yeah that makes sense I'm sure it's something a lot of, a lot of hunters echo um, what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that people make overcalling <laughs> yeah um, that's pretty common a lot of times. It's, there's two ways you can go. A lot of people, they have a spot. They know that if they wait long enough, their chances are pretty good. Patience is always difficult in any kind of hunting. So some people leave too soon. Birds show up and they miss the opportunity. They get too aggressive. They Turkey can see so well. All of a sudden you walk over a, a ridge and you're skylined and 
trust me, they see you before you see them most of the time. And that can ruin a hunt too. And, um, you know, I guess that's probably the biggest. It doesn't mean that the hunt is completely over. It just means you got to change. Now, there's a popular tactic that's probably the most exciting way to turkey hunt, and that is to carry a turkey fan. So I usually have a fan with as well. When a turkey sees the fan, they call it reaping. You can literally walk or crawl and keep that fan up, and they see that, and they're like, <laughs> and they'll run you over. How far do you think we are apart right now? 10, 12 feet? Yep. That's how close I've had him charge me. Wow. With that. And then what do you do when one's flying at you and it's 10 feet away? Drop the fan mm -hmm. and then they go, boom. Like there's this moment of, oh, oh no. Oops. And then kaboom. Wow. Yeah. So happens. you've been successful using that. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now I do that on private land and I don't want to look like a turkey moving around out there yeah. on public land. So that, there have been people shot doing that. And that's something that you need to be very mindful of. But it, um, it triggers that, that fight. Remember I was saying how turkeys, they'll beat each other up. You don't need, I mean, you can do a hen call, and then all of a sudden they see this fan, they're like, oh, no, and I just wave it. I just imagine having this fan up, and I just kind of hold it, and I wave it, and I turn it a little bit. Because if you watch a turkey strut, he's kind of like, you know, I do this for the kids at home. I strut around <laughs> them, you know, my wife laughs. and But it's funny. They're like, no, look at me. Hey, look at me. And the fans up, fans up. So you just mimic that out there. They see it and they usually, if they see it, they'll come and they'll try to run you over. And I've seen them where it's literally like they're probably out yeah. of breath because they've been running at me so hard. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you drop the fan so you can make a shot. And they're like, Whoa. man, what a letdown. Totally. Um, but so other than other hunters, obviously you have to be, as you said, aware that you're not on land with other hunters when you do that. But do you need to be careful like yourself if you're luring them in that way? Like, are they, are they guaranteed to stop? <laughs> <laughs> or what if they run you over? I, I don't know. I've never, okay. I've never missed one that has okay. come. Usually when you drop the fan and they're like, what are you? Like mm -hmm. there's this pause moment. Yeah. I'm sure people have been attacked and spurred. I'm Just sure. Use your head, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to make that judgment. Is 10 yards close enough? Usually. The closer they are, the smaller the pattern if you're using a shotgun when it comes out of the muzzle. And so you've got to be pretty accurate on your shot, too. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes you ask about a mistake people make. And when you get a turkey to commit, it's amazing how much you can get away with. Yes, they have good eyesight, but if you're in a blind, you can move around a little bit. You know, they're focused on that decoy. Sometimes people hurry the shot, you know, and I've heard the shot before, too, thinking I wasn't going to. I remember my first time ever taking a shot at a turkey. It came around. I was hunkered under a pine tree, and it came around the opposite side that I was anticipating. And so I thought, if I have to turn quick and take a shot. I didn't make a good one. It was really close. And like I said, the shot pattern was pretty small and I rushed it and I shouldn't have I should have just waited so that's that's one thing but your heart gets pumping they're gobbling they're mm -hmm. yelling at you and you know it's even still to this day I still I still get excited which I love and it can lead to hurrying a shot making a bad shot um, and it's important to make sure that you're taking a good shot they typically will stop they don't just like whoo bolt very often even if they think something's wrong they might if they're they're fanned out and strutting in front they'll 
all of a sudden the fan will drop and their head will poke up and they'll look around and be like, you know, like what's happening here? That's kind of your moment where you have everything exposed. You want to shoot from the neck up and that's a vital area. The feathers are just really, really tough and can take a pretty big shot and they'll fly away. So letting that bird come close enough and making sure you make a good shot is important. I think one of the things that's so cool about this is you really are, you know, witnessing and taking an, you know, an active part in, you know, these activities of the animal kingdom. And you're really getting to see this, you know, this, you know, cool aspect of their lives. It happens once a year, yep. um, you know, right in front of your eyes. And I feel like for me with, you know, if I'm fishing or just doing anything, you know, hiking, doing anything outside, there's all these times that I, you know, I, I kind of stop the activity that I'm doing and I just want to like stop and witness what's going on in front of me, whether you're, you know, in super clear water and you're seeing fish or, or something like that. Do you ever find yourself when you're hunting? Like, eh, I'm just, I don't even want to take the shot right now. I just want to sit back and enjoy what we're seeing, you know, with my, me and the kids. Sometimes. Um, I are love too hungry for that. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the moment we get out there in the dark, a lot of people just don't immerse themselves into a wild setting that often. And I cherish every single one of those mornings. Now with kids, trying to get them to be quiet and listen and, you know, hear the frogs start up and then hear the owl hooting. And then, you know, you're talking. If they're close enough on the roost, you can talk to them. Um, deer walk by. You know, if everything is active early in the morning like that. Fox come by hunting, coyotes. Um, you see so much out there that you're just like, oh. I love this. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to end. Sometimes when the hunt ends quick, I'm like, really didn't want it to end that quick. <laughs> yeah. I want more of this. Yeah. Um, and it can end. I've taken people out hunting for their first time. And the first time I hit the call, a bird responds and comes running. And their hunt was over in 15 minutes. You know, And so it can go really quick. Um, it can also go days. You know, And that's the beauty of it. Well, speaking of uh, hunts being over, we do need to talk a little bit about preparation if, if people are choosing to, to eat their uh, turkey, but, or when they do. But I, I do want to ask first for people that are listening that they're, you know, seasoned hunters, they've been doing this for a long time, but they're looking to, you know, maybe level up their game a little bit. Are there any like pieces of equipment or gear that you'd recommend people, you know, invest in over time that maybe they didn't start off with right away? Well, you don't need much. That's mm -hmm. the beauty of it. A $20 decoy, um, Remember when I said the worst sounding call that mm -hmm. I ever heard was a live turkey? Some of the worst looking decoys I've ever seen have had turkeys jump up on top, try to mate. I mean, mm -hmm. you could almost put a black bag out there some days and I think they'd come running in to try to, <laughs> like, it's, it's really weird. So you really need a shotgun camouflage. I recommend, you know, a lot of people do hunt archery. Um, and that's another skill because their eyesight is so, so good. Um, a shotgun is, is good for starters, um, but beyond a call, you know, you can get a mouth call, a diaphragm box call, and a decoy or two. There's not a lot of entry to get into it. Now, yeah, you can do certain things like there's fancy fans and you can attach them to your gun barrel and you can still see down and, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot to it, but it's a, it's a simple hunt for the most part. There's... You know, I've got a Chief Upland vest that they have now in brown and greens. And I've got all these pockets. So I, you know, when I first started, I didn't have a nice vest with a cushion on the butt. Usually what happens is you lean up, if you're moving around out there, you lean up against a tree and you're frozen 
and you can't flinch. If you move an inch, they'll see you, and the hunt is over. So all of a sudden, you get these like, I my crick in my neck, or you know whatever. Like my leg fell asleep. My leg mm-hmm. fell asleep, and you're trying to hold your gun on your leg, but your leg is actually completely numb. You can't even mm-hmm. feel it. You know, so having a nice cushion and ability to carry your decoys, things like that. That's really all that's mm-hmm. has changed in the game. Do you bring binoculars out? I you don't. need them. Okay. No, I don't. Um, I've, I'm trying to think if I have for the kids. If it, if we're set up in an open area that they can see a far distance, but typically where I'm hunting, I've got a, you know less than a hundred yard view in the meadow that we set up in, and they can see everything pretty well there. I also want to limit their movement. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Well, okay. We do are we want to do questions? Yeah, we can do that. So, okay. yeah, we reached out on Let's... Instagram for some listener questions. And if you don't already, you can follow our account, Do North Outdoors TV on Instagram. So we always, you know, sometimes we'll ask for questions for certain episodes. But if you have, you know, topics uh, that you want to recommend or just general questions, you can always put them in the direct messages there. Um, but we got a qu- question from Hunt fish forage um who that asked um which ammo do you like to use and what do you recommend yeah i use federal third degree heavyweight tss the change in ammunition over the last couple years these loads that are made federal in the upland world you know prairie storm and um they're just very lethal you want to to do it right you make a quick clean ethical shot and I use the tightest choke possible on my mm-hmm. shotgun. I want a tight pattern. I don't want, it's not like it's a flying object that I need a big spread. I want that pattern to hold the BBs tightly together up to, you know, if you want to shoot to 50 yards that I've seen, you know, with this load, it's lethal. Um, it's good at short range, medium, and long distances away. So I've been using the federal third degree now for like ever since I came out with that. I don't even know how long it's been out now, but it's unbelievable how lethal it is. Highly recommend it. From Taylor Vinar, if I'm saying that right. Um, they asked which areas in Minnesota have good public land for turkey hunting. So we've kind of talked about that, but maybe it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit more about habitat. And also if there's, you know, places that you recommend people to go to pinpoint and decide on land to hunt? Well, actually, I wanted to touch on this question um, because I mentioned how southeast Minnesota is where they were originally um, stocked into the state or released. And the when they first started to explode, that's where turkey hunting became popular in Minnesota. It slowly worked its way up. The last couple of years, I would say northwest Minnesota, western Minnesota, up 94, Alexandria, you go out there on a spring day, and I swear, every field you look at, there's turkeys out there full strut. I've filmed some stories up there the last few years, and I've been just in awe of the turkey population. I know some hunters, they're like, that has the highest population in the state in their mind. I can't disagree. Mm-hmm. I really feel like the population up there has exploded. Do you know why that is? It's perfect habitat. They have everything they need. They've got fields. They've got woods. They've got thick cover. Um, it's it's a nice mix up in that area. But I I know they're up on the Canadian border in Minnesota too. And 
I have friends that live up there, and they're like, gosh, I just keep seeing more and more turkeys. When I'm deer hunting up north, and turkeys everywhere. And the beauty about having a good population up in those parts of the state, that's where we have our big, massive chunks of public land that you can walk for miles before you leave the property. That's where the whole run and gun, mm-hmm. call, listen, you know, moving around can really be a fun hunt. And I think those areas are only going to get better and better. But as it stands, you know, if, if somebody said, like, where do you think is the most birds right now? <sighs> I almost feel like that Detroit Lakes, Alexandria area, from what I've seen, has had a lot of them. And there's a lot of public land up there. We sort of touched on this earlier, but Alexander Q asked, how does this late spring like this year affect the spring gobblers? Yeah. So I really think, you know, like I mentioned, I've been watching the birds that we have city birds to see, are they in the mood? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been looking out in fields that I normally see them strutting and I haven't yet. So I do think that there's a delay in where we would normally be at, you know, mid April. Um, and that means the season, you know, if somebody were to decide, which right now I can decide, Hey, do I want to buy a license today and hunt tomorrow? The first seven day window. If I don't get one there, then I have to wait till mid May to go in the last three seasons. Or, you know, should I wait a week and go the second season? Historically, the second season has been, like, the one you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that, you know, I'm taking a lot of other people out, I like to start right away and get after it. But that's because I'm not as concerned about my license. After I've taken friends, kids, everyone out, if there's still turkeys around, I'll go buy a license. I usually go out on my own late May when everyone else has said, yep, I'm good, I've got mine, or um, nobody else wants to go. So um, the birds, as the season progresses, you'll go from none of the hens being mated, you know, they're they're still um, in the mood, and so toms are satisfying their needs, mm-hmm. if we put it in a polite way. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, they go to a nest at a certain point, once you're sitting on the nest towards later in the hunting season, the during when they're, when they're receptive, they pair up and it's hard to pull that Tom away. It's really hard to get him away from a hen. Once she's on a nest and he's like, all right, ladies, any left, any left. And then they hear your lone. Well, hello. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the hunts that I've been run over the fastest are late season in May. A lot of turkey hunters will say, don't rush out there. It gets better as the season goes. It can be good all season, but it typically will get better. This year, I really think that's going to be the case because just how late everything has been pushed. Um, their, Their internal clock says it's time to mate, whether there's snow on the ground or not, but their need to survive. I really think has been elevated this year. It's changed their normal habitats where they would like to live or be, you know, and over the next five days, 80 degrees, you know, that's our forecast for opening day. There's going to be a lot of snow melt going on. A lot of those birds are going to be able to find food again, back in their normal ranges. The wintering groups are going to disperse. They're going to start um, getting into the mood heavily here. So I, I really think it's going to transition, uh, in a, in a hurry mm-hmm. and you don't know until you go. So as we mentioned, you know, it's going to be super hot this week, but it looks like even in the twin cities, it's going to drop right back down to the forties. So other than potentially a delay this year, you know, once things do start get rolling, whenever that is, 
is the hunt going to be impacted by if we have, you know, these strange weathered patterns or is it, you know, once things start, hunting can be good no matter what? Um, each day in particular, the weather can affect how far can they hear your call? Mm -hmm. You know, can you sneak in? Um, but typically once mating season is on, it's on. It's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Good for them. Yep. <laughs> good um, for them. Okay. They only well, get it no. once a year, so they... <laughs> Let them have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, no, I think I saved this one for last, but Tom Hammes, if I pronounce your name correct, it didn't ask a question, but made a very profound statement. Wild turkey recipes, exclamation point. Yeah. I echo that. Yeah. So, Travis, we're putting you on the spot. Okay. What do um, you do? How do you kick them up? I, I don't know that I've landed on my... This is the perfect recipe if you shoot a turkey. You told me about something that you made last year that yeah. were the little like um, egg rolls or something like that, spring roll. Uh, probably did that. Yeah, okay. that's pretty yeah. good. I I think based on so I have a cap chef uh, smoker, and what I've let the kids you know since they're a part of our hunt, such a big part of it now. I want them to see you know asking permission putting out the blinds, scouting together. They get a bird. We clean it together. All right, buddy, this is your bird. How would you like to prepare it? They've been obsessed with jerky. They love it. They eat it all day long, and I'm happy for that. So the last two years, all of our birds have been, for the most part, I do save a little piece and make something else, but we've made turkey jerky in the mm -hmm. last couple of years, and it has been a fan favorite for hunters and non-hunters alike usually in my house a full turkey gets eaten in a day day and a half <laughs> yeah. all my little meat eaters running around they just that's their snack they take that over anything else which hey i love Great. that makes them appreciate their hunt he knows that he provided this food everyone's like weston this your turkey's awesome you know mm -hmm. and so um that to me is important and I'm going to continue going that route. They get to, we marinate it together and, um, put it on the smoker together, take it off. They're a part of it, you know, and I'm not trying to come up with this fancy recipe. Deep fried turkey is pretty hard <laughs> to beat as well. You can bread, bread it, batter it just like you would fresh shore lunch and drop it in a uh, hot pan of oil. That's pretty tough to beat as well. Um, how different so, is wild turkey for people that are used to their, you know, Thanksgiving butterball very. turkey? So, yeah, describe it for us. It's different now. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to explain it very well. I'm not, I'm not good at mm -hmm. the palate explaining mm -hmm. that. Um, like most wild game tends to be uh, gamier. I guess that's not a great way to describe it, but less fat. So is it like? So I'm going to challenge you with the gamey thing that because mm -hmm. that's what everyone says. Yeah. There's different flavors in wild game. Typically, gamey tastes come out in wild game when people overcook it. Mm. There's this mentality that people have for some reason that because it's a wild animal, I need to cook it just a little longer to be sure. Isn't that, that indicative of And that's where what we're causes at. the flavors to go bad. And now when you eat it, you're like, oh, that sucked. Yeah. You know? And it should be the opposite. It should when be the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I have really come. So, like I said, I have this camp chef and I have thermometers that I'm always watching. The second it hits that temperature that I'm looking for, I take it out. I don't want to overcook it. And that goes for ducks, deer, pheasants, goose, turkey. doesn't matter. You overcook it, it's not going to taste good. That's where gamey comes from. Mm -hmm. 
but cooked correctly, some of the, like I had cooked venison steak the other night and my mom was over. She's like, oh my goodness, this is the best steak I've had in a long time. She's like, where'd you get it? And I was like, I shot it. <laughs> She's like, what? And I was like, it's a deer. She goes, no way. Was and that your Easter meal? No, no, no. Happy belated Easter, by the yeah, way. We're a couple you. days past. Yeah, Thank same you. you. Okay. No, that would have been a, we had a ham. epic meal. Okay. We had a ham on Easter. But um, yeah, I, it's just because the flavors, if you cook it right, I will. And so here's my, my very simple, since I brought this up, venison steak recipe, tenderloins, backstraps, whatever you want to call it, the steaks. I like to keep it in a pretty good sized log. And anyone that's holding a backstrap knows what I'm talking about. I usually go with like a 12-inch long piece of it. And I I use Walton's Ultimate Steak and Roast Rub Seasoning. I, I generously cover the steak with that. And then I, um, I brush on olive oil. And I let it sit for a couple hours. And I want to bring it to room temperature before I put it on the grill. And then throw it on mm. the grill. And you take it off at medium I can smell rate. it already. Yeah, I want to say it's 130 degrees. The minute it hits that, I take it off. Just put a little bit of butter, Natalie, mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> uh, put a little bit of butter on it. Let it just kind of soak in and let it sit at least five minutes. That's it. And that's the best steak that I've had. It's it's like I've done it with beef the same way. And I compare the two. And if people come over... They're not going to know the difference. Usually they pick out the venison because there's a little bit more flavors um, to it. Not gamey at all. Very tender. Very, oh gosh, it's so good. I'm going to make it tonight. That that sounds perfect. It is. And it's so simple. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people think they need to wrap it in bacon or do all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Olive oil, ultimate steak and roast rub. Or, I I don't know why, but the olive oil itself, it just like, it, it just holds in all of that moisture um, it like it just locks it in. That has been my absolute favorite way, and I've been using that on like woodcock, for instance. I mean, that's a bird that some people it's a darker meat, and they think I don't know, don't really like as much. Um, same deal, olive oil and some seasoning on it, spicy Montreal. Oh my goodness! Psh, psh. Beautiful. Two sides, take it off, medium rare. You'll eat it, and you're like, that is some of the finest steak I have ever eaten. So It's all about letting the meat shine, right? You know, you get yeah. this high-quality meat. You just want to do it justice. You don't need totally. to overpower it. Totally. So, yeah, with a turkey, going back to that, it's a fun way to cook it with the kids, and everybody has, has loved it. There is a recipe, and I, I go back to Walton's on this again, because Walton's is, um, for people that don't know, they... They're like, I, I always say they're like the Amazon for wild game cooking. They have everything but the meat. That's their motto. But they have um, tutorials and things mm-hmm. like that. There is a pheasant jerky recipe. If you follow that recipe with your turkey, you're going to love it. Mm. That's the one I've been using. Good tip. So you can go to waltons.com and just do a search for the, it's hard for me to explain it in a podcast mm-hmm. with, with directions, but very, very delicious. I'm sold. Yep. So we we have probably just a few minutes left, but I do want to ask, um, you know, you, you've mentioned a lot, you know, you hunt with fit, with your kids and you've mentioned cleaning birds with your kids. And I myself, you know, I didn't grow up doing a whole lot in the outdoors, certainly not hunting. And I cleaned my first bird just a couple of years ago. So as an adult, it was a pheasant. And, you know, I've cleaned plenty of fish and stuff, but it's a little different. And I had to probably dig a little bit deep when I first, you know, started to clean it and I had the direction of a mentor with me. 
but I'm curious and, you know, it was a good experience and definitely rewarding. I'm curious for bringing kids out or, you know, new hunters, if, you know, for people listening, how do you kind of walk that line of empowering them and encouraging them to kind of, well, literally get their hands dirty without, you know, making it an experience that might put them off to the sport? I've learned that for the most part, adults are more turned off by it than kids. That's been my personal experience. Uh, whether it's deer, <clears throat> ducks, turkeys, pheasants, kids, uh, you do with it. We do this hunt up at a friend's cabin every year, and we hunt for deer, we hunt for waterfowl, upland birds. The kids, they they touch it, they hold it, they want to see every part of it. They pull feathers. They they want to know what's going on. What are we cutting off? What's this meat? They touch the meat. They want to know what the what the bird is eating. Can we see that? What part of the body here? Like, there's this um, instinctive, like, um, uh, not primitive, but I don't know how to explain. Human, it. probably. Prob yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. where they just want to understand. I don't know what what point we get turned off by that in our human growth development or whatever. We hear enough people say, "Oh." You know, I've not seen kids throw up, run away, get sick. Um, getting a little blood on their hand has never hurt any of them that I've ever met. And in fact, it's made them want to know more about this animal, which I think brings me to another point. Um, yeah, so yesterday I was watching this video that we produced for uh, our show, and Ron did an interview with the DNR biologist on meadowlarks and the fact that they're disappearing. And he, he said, basically, the story is about the fact that meadowlarks used to be prevalent all over. They're not very common anymore. People don't see them anymore. And so the biologist, the DNR biologist said, oh, let me just, let me pull it up here. Because I wrote it down when he said it, and it, it's really stuck with me. How can you care about something you don't know about? Mm. yeah and profound. so hunting and life are my you know if you're if you're under the age of 40 <laughs> a lot of people don't even know what meadowlarks are if they don't go out and see them and you have to go where they live which is in the prairie and we don't have a lot of that in central minnesota and farm country so the amount of meadowlarks are gone and it's a bigger picture as to what this landscape looks like but yeah it just kind of rocked me it's like how can you care about something you don't know we want everyone to be like mm -hmm. hey we got to save this this land and it's so important and stuff but yet they have no connection to it yeah no relationship no relationship it. they don't understand why a wild animal would be out there or not so that's why to me yes when i take my kids out it's about the experience and these memories we're making together but i had the ability to see wild animals in their natural environment growing up so when that environment was demolished by skid loaders and put into houses I was torn literally tore my heart apart and I have an appreciation for them because I was able to see them watch them observe them admire them I want my kids to understand what it's like to be out there in those wild places to see them because if they don't see it they don't live it why will they ever give a crap about it when it's their turn to make decisions on how to take care of the land? Beautiful. 
Well, Travis, I'm excited to get out there. I <laughs> know you it. are. Yeah, heck yeah. Any last uh, words of encouragement for, for people that are getting out and hunting this year? Any last tips or, or yeah. words of encouragement? Put permethrin on. Wear permethrin. Great point. You're sitting on the ground. Ticks are out in the spring. They'll climb on you. And if you get a tick bite, it can change your life. I hate ticks. DEET does not keep a tick off of you. Those bug sprays, mosquito sprays will not do anything to keep a wood tick or a deer tick off of you. Permethrin is what does it. Spray it on your clothes beforehand. Let it dry. Don't spray it on your body. Spray it on your pants. Spray it on, you know, your boots. It'll last for a couple weeks usually. You can even wash your clothes. But use it. Pay attention. Check yourself. Check your kids for ticks every time after you leave the field. Don't, don't let an amazing opportunity out in the field be something that turns into a disaster and changes your life forever. Great point. Well, with that, I guess we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Good luck out there, everyone. Stay safe. Good luck, Natalie. I'm excited thank for Thank you. you. Yeah, Me we'll too. See some I can pictures, report I'm back assuming. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, and yeah, tune in next week. We're going foraging in two weeks on the episode. This is going to be good. You're going to yes. love this. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Good luck. <laughs>